The Fields of Home by Ralph Moody, University of Nebraska Press, 1953. I'm going to start with Chapter 1, From Colorado to Maine. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to read, to en uh, enjoy another part of Ralph Moody's life. I pray that, uh, that this reading would encourage and spur us on to right thinking and to, uh, to delighting in the transitions that you give us in life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, when we moved from Colorado to Massachusetts at the beginning of 1912, the other children slid into city life as a flock of ducklings into a new pool. I tried as hard as I could to be a city boy, but I didn't have very good luck. Just little things that would have been all right in Colorado were always getting me into trouble. Out there, after Father died, the sheriff was about the best friend I had. He helped me get jobs with the cattle drovers that went through town, and he always told them I was dependable as any man. In Medford, the police chief seemed to think just the opposite. Before I'd finished the eighth grade, our house was the first place he came to when anything went wrong in town. My worst trouble came on graduation day. The night before, one of the boys in my class, who was crazy about cowboys, was waiting when I'd finished my after-school job in the grocery store. He'd sent away to a mail-order house for a 45 caliber revolver and 100 cartridges. He had them with him and wanted me to go up to the woods and teach him how to shoot. That would have been too dangerous, so I told him he'd have to wait till morning. Then we'd go down to the river and shoot into the water where no one could be hurt. I knew quite a little about revolvers and had learned to handle one when I was 10. What I didn't know was that there was a law against shooting one in Medford and that bullets skip on water the way stones do. We had skipped nearly 50 of them over into Somerville when the policemen came and arrested us. Arrested us. They kept us at the police station all morning, and the chief said that the only safe place for me was the reform school. Before he let me go, Mother had to promise to send me right away to my father's farm in Maine, to her father's farm in Maine. I took the night boat from Boston to Bath and rode the 20 miles over to Lisbon Falls on the Lewiston trolley car. Mother had told me that the easiest way to find Grandfather's farm would be to go up the Main Street, follow straight ahead for three miles, then turn up the hill road when I came to a big three-story brick house. The few people I passed on the sidewalk seemed to look at me seemed to look me over from head to foot, but nobody spoke. I was sure they all knew I'd been sent down there so I wouldn't have to go to the reform school. I bit my teeth together hard, kept looking at the ground, and walked as fast as I could till I was out of the village. Then I stopped, set my suitcase down, and tried to make up my mind if it wouldn't be better for me just to run away and go back to Colorado. I'd grown a lot since we'd moved east, would be 15 in the fall, and knew I could earn a man's wages on a ranch. If I went back west, I'd be able to send money to mother every month. People wouldn't be looking at me as if I were a criminal, and everybody would be a lot better off. I just about made up my mind to go when I heard a rumbling and pounding on the road behind me. A big skinny gray horse hitched to a blue dump cart was clumping toward me. At every lumbering step, the box of the dump cart tipped up a little and bumped down against the shafts. Above the horse's rump, I could see a battered old straw hat that jounced in time to the bumping of the cart. I didn't want to be standing there when they went by, so I picked up my suitcase and walked on. The thumping trot slowed to a walk as the horse came abreast of me and the man hollered, Whoa, Edda! in a sort of gurgly roar. I didn't want to see or talk to anybody right then, but, of course, I had to stop and look up at the man. He was big and round-shouldered, sitting there on a board across the low sides of the dump cart, and his knees were nearly up to his chin. His overalls were dirty and had a hole in one knee that gray underdrawers showed through. 
He had squinty blue eyes, a reddish-brown walrus mustache, and hadn't shaved for at least a week. As I looked around, he spit a mouthful of tobacco juice that just missed my suitcase and plopped into the road dust. Hot, ain't it? he said. Going to the Four Corners? It wasn't very hot for June, and I didn't know where the Four Corners might be, so I said, no, sir. Where you be going? And he spit again. From the way he blurted the question, I thought he might be the sheriff, and I didn't want to get in any more trouble. So I said, to Mr. Gould's farm. Tom Gould's? Yes, sir. Get in. I'll fetch you a piece. The horse didn't move till the man slapped her with the reins and fished on them a few times. For several minutes, he didn't say a word, just sat there with the reins loose, looking at Edda's rump, his hands resting across his knees. Then, without looking toward me, he asked, Who be you? Ralph Moody was all I said. And two or three minutes more, he asked, Where from? Boston. That seemed to interest him. He only waited for Edda to take three or four more steps before he said, Big place, ain't it? Yes, sir, I told him. The farther we went, the less I liked to ride with the man. By the time he'd asked me about Boston, I was sure he wasn't the sheriff. But I couldn't just climb down and start walking again, so I sat and planned how I'd go to Colorado. I only had 80 cents, but that didn't worry me any. It was the beginning of summer, haying time, and I knew I could get plenty of work on farms. There was no hurry. It wouldn't make any difference if it took me till fall. I wouldn't really be running away. I'd just be going back where everybody liked me and where the sheriff was my friend. Mother would know that I was where I was all the time because I work as I went and would send her money as I earned it. It was just I was just wondering how I'd get across the wide rivers like the Mississippi when a man beside me asked, "What are you going to Tom's for? Kinna hisn?" I didn't want to ask any more questions than I had to, so I just said, "To work," and went on thinking about getting across the Mississippi. For the first time since I climbed onto the cart, the man turned his head and looked at me. What's Tom paying you? He asked. I don't know, was all I said. Don't know. Heavens to Betsy. Do you know Tom Gould? No, sir, I told him. I really didn't know my grandfather. Mother said I'd seen him when I was three, but all I knew about him was from stories I'd heard her tell. Besides, it wasn't, it didn't seem to me that it would be a good idea to say I was his grandson when I intended to go right on west without seeing him. The man swung his head away and spit hard as though he just tasted something bitter. <clears throat> then he turned back to me and said, Well, you will afford the days out. Ain't a meaner man a living. Skin a louse for hide and tallow. I was sure I, glad I'd made up my mind to go back to Colorado. Since I'd probably never see Grandfather anyway, it wouldn't make any difference to me how mean he was. And I just wanted to hear, and, what, and I wanted to hear what else the man might say about him. So I just said, Yes. Dang, tootin'. So cossard, cantankerous, there can't nobody get on with him excepting that woman of his. Then he stopped talking and didn't look at Edda's rump. Just sat looking at Edda's rump for a minute or two. I didn't know there was a woman, I said. Mill Durkin, housekeeper. Cuss a contrary as old Tom himself. Fight like two stray cats in a rain barrel. Has to stay there. Won't nobody else put up with her. Get up, Edda. Ahead of us, a three-story brick house came into sight beyond a pine wood lot, and I knew that was where Grandfather's Road turned off. What I was going to do seemed easy from there. I'd say goodbye to this man at the corner, then walk up the side road till he was out of sight, turn into the woods, and go back to the trolley line. But first, I wanted to find out what else he might say about Grandfather, so I asked, 
How long has Mrs. Durkin been there? Hey, Ms. Durkin, Mills a spinster. About 30. Been there five or six, seven years, I calculate. Only help Tom ever had that stayed over two, three days. You won't neither. Can't do nothing nothing to suit him. Work the hide off on you. Feed you old feed you on sow belly and boiled potatoes. Run his own boys off before they was growed. I thought I'd heard about as much as I wanted to, so I kept still and went back to planning about going west. We were nearly to the four corners when I noticed that the man was looking me over from head to foot. When I looked up his face he said Might look me up when you get fed up at Tom's. Name's Swale. The other side of the brook. Might use a likely looking boy. He jerked his head to the right, the opposite direction from grandfather's, and added, Don't need mention it to Tom. I didn't want to hear him talk about grandfather anymore. I knew mother loved her father, and from stories she told us about her girlhood on the old farm, I was sure he couldn't be half as bad as Mr. Swale said he was. I knew his younger brother, Uncle Levi, too. He was an old bachelor who lived in Boston, and he had been out to see us half a dozen times since we'd moved east. Every time he came, he'd been loaded down with fruit, nuts, and candy, and I didn't know a man I liked any better. I reached back for my suitcase and said, I'm going to walk. Mr. Swale put one dirty hand on my leg and said, Set right still, set right still. Taint no load at all on Etta. These hills are powerful steep for lugging a heavy valise. Hot this morning, ain't it? This time I just said, Yes, without any sir on it. And moved my leg away a little. Then I tried to think some more about how I'd get I'd go to Colorado, but I couldn't seem to get grandfather out of my head. The next thing I knew I was remembering things mother had told us about him. That he was born when his father was seventy three, had gone to the Civil War when he was twenty one, had contracted malaria in a Confederate prison and never got over it. Before I thought I'd said Mr Gould isn't very well, is he? That's dependent, Mr Swale snickered. Tom Gould can hist a bull out of a well if he's hard put or showing off, but he's too puny to fetch a pail of water if somebody else about can, he, that he can shrink it off onto. Then he bellowed, Morning, Miss Little Hale. I'd been so busy thinking, I hadn't paid attention to the road or the scenery. I did know that we'd passed a couple of houses since we turned off the main road, but if anyone had asked me, I couldn't have told them what either of them looked like. It wasn't until Mr. Swale hollered that I noticed a woman putting a letter into the mailbox at the house 50 yards ahead of us, except that she was short and sort of fat. I couldn't tell what she looked like because she had on a sunbonnet that came out way beyond her face. She didn't look up until she'd taken a newspaper out of the box, held it up in front of the bonnet for a minute. Then she turned and called, Morning, Baja. What brings you up this way? Her face and voice seemed to go exactly with her body. They were both round, sort of mellow, but hearty. I liked her from the moment she spoke. We were getting pretty close, but Mr. Swale's voice was still loud enough to have been heard from for half a mile. The old woman's been a hankering for a setting of them Rhode Island red eggs of yourn, he shouted. Fetch this hired hand up to Tom Gould and calculate I just stopped and dicker with you for a setting of them eggs. This late of the season, I don't allow your head and holding them too dear. Whoa, Etta. Instead of answering Mr. Swale about the price of her eggs, Mrs. Little Hale looked at me and said, Why, he's just a young boy. If it hadn't been for the sound of her voice, I would have, wouldn't have liked it. But she didn't even give me time to think about that. She looked right into my eyes and said, I do hope you'll stay with Mr. Gould till he gets his hay in. Poor old man, him and Millie up there, trying to do it all alone. Then she turned to Mr. Swale and said, Three men he's had up there 
in the last week, and not one of them's worth shucks. Ain't one of them stayed more than a single day. Mr. Swale's elbow poked me in the ribs as I reached back for my suitcase. He half snickered and said, So I was just telling the boy here, dang shame, ain't it? I started, uh, I jumped from the dump cart, swung my suitcase down, and started to walk up the road. For some reason, a lump had come up in my throat, and I didn't want to talk to anyone. I'd only gone a dozen steps when Mrs. Little Hales called, Son, so I had to stop. She walked up beside me. Her voice barely came out of her sunbonnet as she said, Don't let Mr. Gould rile you. He's good-hearted, and his bark's a sight worse than his bite. I do hope you'll stay with him through haying. I just tipped my cap and said, I will. Then I went up to the road, and then I went up the road. After a dozen more steps, Mr. Swale shouted, My, what I was saying to you, name Swale, to the side, four corners. But I didn't look back. So, Ralph's got an impression of his grandfather already, and he hasn't even gotten there. So, I love you guys. Have a great night.